All right, Kelly, I am ready to record. You ready to record? I only went once, okay? I'm sorry, what? Madam Dorian's. I only went once for research for this episode. What? The, the demon brothel? They franchised. They've got them in Syracuse, Seattle, Oklahoma City, and one just opened here in St. Louis. All right. You know, so you went to the demon brothel for research. That's fine. I mean, you only went once, right? Maybe twice. Okay. That's fine. Honey, you don't have to be ashamed. Twelve times. Okay. I went 12 times. You know, you don't need to confess like everything. Maybe 15. They've got free Wi-Fi. Welcome to Still Dead. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm researcher and Southern Fried Scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we are here today to talk about Angels Season 1, Episodes 20 and 21, Warzone and Blind Date, both of which are watchers. There is a design, hidden in the chaos as it may be, but it's there, so let's raise the stakes. When David Nabbit billionaire software developer and geek extraordinaire, is blackmailed for his misadventures at a notorious L.A. demon brothel, he hires Team Angel to find the blackmailer and destroy the evidence. The search leads Angel to a dangerous part of town where he finds a group of kids fighting against homelessness and vampires. Led by their badass, sword-carrying big brother Charles Gunn and his tricked-out, fully-weaponized monster truck, this crew do more than their fair share of vamp-dusting. Angel tries to help as a nest of vampires set sight on the kids and gets staked by the kids, luckily an inch away from his heart, and shot through the hand with an arrow in the process. Team Angel find the blackmailer and recover Nabbit's photos and are paid extremely well for their efforts. No shareholders were harmed in the making of this episode. But while things work out for Nabbit, Gunn faces the nightmare of seeing his sister captured and bitten by vamps. When Alana returns, still dead, guilt-free, and wanting to turn Charles, he has to make the impossible choice to dust her. Angel tries to offer solace, but Gunn is not ready to be comforted by Angel or to trust him much at all. Gunn tells Angel he doesn't need his help, but Angel just might need guns. Warzone aired on May 9th, 2000 and was directed by David Strayton, who also directed The Bachelor Party and will return to direct one more episode later in season four. This was the only episode of Angel written by Gary Campbell. All right. So, Kelly, moments of perfect happiness. I got to say, this is a pretty good episode, right? Yes. And I thought it was a pretty good episode. I remembered it being a pretty good episode. Now I think it was a damn good episode. Yeah, no, it really is a good episode. And, um, and I like it a lot. And it's always fun, of course, to see J. August Richards mm-hmm. playing Charles Gunn, who we're going to be seeing more of without, you know, spoiling too much. Gunn becomes part of the crew. So it's, it's very fun. Um, all right. So I'm going to start with a couple of my moments of perfect happiness here. Um, I love the civilian group taking care of vampires, the truck all decked out. I mean, this is such a cool imagining of how people who aren't part of this supernatural realm will step in and pick up the fight. And I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, Gunn, right? I mean, Gunn's <laughs> awesome. It's so yes. much fun to see him. Um, so yeah, I, I love him. 
I loved it. And I loved how unexpected it was. Because yeah. um, you have this, you know, vampire standing there in the dark alley. And he says, you, you know, and the camera looks mm-hmm. at somebody coming at the vamp and the camera pans up and there's a long coat and then a sword and then gun. Right. And Gun says, you expecting somebody else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just loved that. Um, yes. You know, and I was like, hello, Charles Gunn, you gorgeous, smart-ass, badass you. I and J. August Richards is just fantastic in Angel. And I also love him on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I so. know. It's so fun because I get to talk about him on both podcasts, Still Dead and Listen Up A-Holes, the MCU podcast I do with Joshua Unruh. So, um, yeah, it's so much fun to see him. He's always a joy. His, um, his acting is always really nuanced and interesting, and mm-hmm. he brings so much personality to everything that he does i love him i think he's fantastic so what else did you love well there was a lot that i loved in this episode actually um including so cordy wes and angel have to go to one of david nabbit's big parties Mm -hmm. and when cordy walks in she says oh i've missed that smell money i like to smell a little money once in a while and angel Aww. like completely deadpan looks at wes and says she's not just saying that hide some in the office sometimes and watch her it's uncanny and <laughs> i just like cracked up because yeah angel only knows that because angel has done that oh absolutely <laughs> and i love the idea that he would put money you know, somewhere around the office and see if she could smell yeah, it. Just to see if she could pick it up. Like, it was, it, it just is so adorable. It is so adorable. And I love the the actor who plays uh, David Nabbit is David Herman from Office Space, the guy who played mm-hmm. Michael Bolton. Um, now, I don't know how the rest of y'all feel about Office Space. It is a 22-year-old movie at this point, but I love it. I can basically recite it. Me too. Uh, from memory alone. Me it's too. just one of my favorite things. So I love seeing him. I thought that was really, really good. Um, you know, and I also love that Cordy set up the meeting to be at the party, you know, so they could be mm-hmm. like incognito. And then she's just grabbing the champagne and just enjoying every moment of it. I absolutely love that. Well, you know, when you love your work, it <laughs> never yeah, right. feels like work. <laughs> She was so cute. Like, we'll just hang out here for a few hours so nobody suspects anything. Right. Like, this is a sacrifice I'm willing to make for my clients. Exactly. She was so cute. But yeah, I got yeah. so tickled um, about the Office Space mm-hmm. reference. And I was like, I need a chipperish Office Space live tweet because oh, we totally that, is, should. that is one of the most quotable movies of all time. Yeah, we're putting in the new drywall down there at the McDonald's. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't like talking about my flair. <laughs> My stapler. I actually bought one of those staplers. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, oh yeah, some years ago. I've I've lost it since, but I bought myself a red swing line stapler just so that I could uh could have that little bit of office space with me. So anyway, <laughs> this isn't the office space podcast, no, but I'll tell you something. Sorry. If anybody's interested in doing an office space uh, chipperish live tweet, get in touch and let us know. If we got enough interest, we'll pull that off. It'll be really fun. Oh yeah, it'll be awesome. I that. Love it would be great 
And <laughs> like I found Nabbit kind of adorable, mm-hmm. you know. He's awkward. He doesn't even know the people at his own party, but his vulnerability is really sincere and there's mm-hmm. a kind of sweetness and honesty behind that awkwardness. And it just made me want to go into big sister mode and make sure that the mean kids don't pick on him. I know. <laughs> he's really sweet. I love him. And I love that moment where he says, "Are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons?" and Angel's like, "I've seen a few." Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. You know, I really like it. And I like the fact that this billionaire is having these issues. And so we can kind of address the money flow. Like you look at them, they're always struggling for money, yet they have these offices, they have phones, they have weaponry, they have like, you know, there's there's a lot of startup costs, I think, in angel (laughs) investigations, you know, and Los Angeles, even if you're in the bad part of Los Angeles, is not a cheap place to like set up shop. So it's kind of nice to have this sort of excuse for, you know, stop worrying about where they get the money, like don't think about it don't look at it and it doesn't matter like where they get the money doesn't really matter nobody cares i i don't know why i obsess about those details but i do so it's like one of these things david nabbit's there and i'm like okay i can stop thinking about where they're getting the money yeah and and i did think it was interesting when he was talking about dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. and he said you get to be someone else for a while yeah you know so you kind of have this guy who enjoys the fantasy space that he thinks is pretend for a little while yeah. against this team that lives in that fantasy space for whom like a regular life would be the thing that they can't really imagine. Like, exactly. I just thought that was, that was interesting. Um, but when he was talking about D and D and being mm-hmm. blackmailed, Cordy said, did someone find out you were a big nerd? <laughs> Nabbit said no that's actually public record I know see I love how like how unassuming he is you Mm -hmm. know how like there's no ego involved in David Nabbit he's just a sweet guy and he's very self-aware he knows who he is he has all these people at the party he has no idea who any of them are you know like it's just it's kind of adorable and I really I like him just I like him as a character he seems like a really sweet person we're going to be seeing a little bit of him you know not to Mm -hmm. spoil anything he's going to return a little bit um and every time he does i just love it yeah and i found myself wondering what is his exit scene like yeah does he just drop off i know he comes back but i don't remember like I if think he just kind of disappears but i don't know i don't know we'll yeah see. We'll, okay we'll, we'll i was just there. curious about but, that yeah i don't i don't remember uh, um and of course the thing that caught my attention about this conversation when they started talking about Madame Dorian's, mm-hmm. was that the person who knew about the demon brothel was Wesley. Right. <laughs> who learned right. about it from the Watchers Council. I and imagine I was like, that in sure the Young Watcher did. Academy, there's a lot of discussion of Madame Dorian's. <laughs> but I was like, right. You learned it at the Academy. Sure. Well, of course I believe you did. You. I totally believe you. <laughs> But I did think it was interesting that something, you know, kind of sketchy that Wes knew about it before Angel. Yeah. No, it's nice. I I always love seeing Wesley's knowledge, you know, his his breadth of knowledge coming in handy. So that's always fun. Yeah, because research is important. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But one of my favorite things about this was, you know, Gunn fighting with a sword. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, his name is Gunn. But Mm -hmm. that's not how he fights. And I love that kind of medieval mixed with the urban. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and watching Gunn fight because there's such tenderness underneath his toughness. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when he holds the hand of that crew member who dies. Yeah. And like when you see on his face with what happens to Alana, like that heartbreak is oh so obvious. And when some of the other crew are trying to turn away squatters, you know, he's so non- no nonsense. And he's like, right. everybody eats. Yeah. And you give a sword to a warrior with a smart mouth and a good heart and i am here for it yeah you know and like his truck is fantastic so it's like the monster truck that slays right and that delights me (laughs) i love it i love how um resourceful they're being Mm -hmm. like i love i love this group of kids with nothing you know they're homeless Right. But they're out there. They're fighting the good fight. They're doing they're protecting the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, it is it is really heroic. It really is. I love that. I love that about them. I think they're they're so great. And I love how out of place Angel Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's not his area to protect. They don't trust Mm -hmm. him. They don't want his help. Um, And when he's confronting that bad guy about the blackmail, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy says, you're clearly not from around here. But trust me, you don't want to see my bad side. And then Angel vamps out. And he's like, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. I know. <laughs> like, I love that. I love that I so love much. Angry Angel. He's like my favorite angel. Yeah, especially when he's angry and snarky. Yes. Like it's, just, mm-hmm. it's great. Um, yes. And then when Angel shoots out his hand to take that arrow to stop it yeah. from hitting Alana, Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he does that, it's still mm-hmm. not enough to instantly win their trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that earned him a space of doubt, but they it didn't earned just... him. They didn't kill him then. Exactly. That's what it earned him. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't just welcome him into the fold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. And yeah. I loved the brother sister bond between Gunn and Alana. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hated it when she was killed, but I didn't put it in the stake it because even though it hurt my heart, it made sense within the story. Yeah. yeah. Although I do kind of wish she had survived and joined Team Angel because that would have been awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough because here we have a, you know, a situation once again, right, where we have a woman, you know, female character who dies and motivates the man. Right. I think and, and that's like that's a, um, a thing called fridging. That's a device called fridging, which is something that a lot of uh, feminist um, studies, you know, highly, highly frown on because it really does. The woman solely exists to be an emotional connection for the man and then to and then her death and, you know, inspires him and motivates him to keep on fighting all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that that's I mean, it is an example of fridging and the ha- that it happens not just to a woman, but to a woman of color, you know, yeah. <laughs> except there are mitigating factors here. One is that Gunn was already motivated to be a hero. Her death didn't motivate him more. He was already going to do that thing. Right? Um, right. The other is that she is characterized. We do see her as a full character. She's not just boob on a plate waiting to be killed you know it's not like it's just the pretty girl that he's sleeping with who motivates him and you know all that kind of stuff um and they did play up that emotional connection between the two of them so i think as far as fridgings go this one is probably a little better than most but still kind of disappointing i was trying to decide 
you know, how much fridging was involved. Because like you said, Gunn was already motivated. Right. And if anything, I saw it more as like her in her vamp form tempting him to give up that fight. Yeah. And go, you know, into the, hey, you can get rid of the, Mm -hmm. you can keep what's fun and get rid of what hurts you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it was almost like a dark temptation for him. Yeah. And so I didn't I didn't know exactly how to interpret that. But I I wish she had stuck around and fought and maybe even been better at some things than him mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. start, you know, coming into Team Angel like that. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's a tough call. It's a, it's kind of like one of those 50-50 on the fence things. You mm-hmm. know, um, it would have been nice to see more of her. It would have been nice to have her be more present as a real character. Um, at the same time, they really did build up that relationship. They've got, um, you know, like a lot of young kids, a lot of characters of color, you know, in this space and being heroic, you know. Um, so I liked all of that stuff. I thought that that was really good. I think Gunn's really good. And I do like the fact that in the end, he has to make a choice you know mm-hmm. and he makes the choice to stake her yeah. and i think that that is uh, you know giving a character an impossible choice is you know is really like the thing that defines who that character is so when he chooses to stake her you know he chooses because he knows he knows it's not her mm-hmm. you know or whatever it is of her is now you know she wouldn't want to be like that Right. Right. Um, But her whole speech and her, this is where I take care of you. You know, I thought that was really interesting and nicely done. Um, It's really, it's really, really good. Um, I love uh, the fight scenes in this episode. I think the stunt coordination was really, really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm not a big fan of, of fight scenes in general. You know, like, I mean, usually to me, I refer to them as fighty, fighty, kick, kick. I don't care. Like, (laughs) you know, all the fight scenes, I'm like, blah, 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 yawn. You know, and I appreciate that it's athletic and it's it's choreographed and there's all but it just gets boring for me after a while but I love when we have that one moment where Angel grabs a hold of the street sign and whips around it you know like Legolas hopping up onto a horse you know kicks the guy in the chest I mean it's there's some nice work going on in the stunt work in this episode which I thought was really really good um you know, and then Cordelia, I loved Cordelia's, you know, assessment of the situation. She's like 20 minute ride from billionaires and crab puffs, kids going to war, Yeah, you know, um, and uh, and that was really kind of one of the things about these like noir stories in L.A. is that, you know, the, the apparent gloss of the city and then that dark griminess right underneath, you know, mm-hmm. that is such a thin gloss of, you know, sophistication and elegance and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's so much money in some places and then such poverty in other places, which is true of a lot of America, you know. Um, and and so it was kind of nice to have that called out, mm-hmm. you know, and then here are these kids fighting and being incredibly brave and dying, you mm-hmm. know, to save the neighborhood, to preserve their community. And uh, and it really is nice, you know. Oh, yeah, it really is. And and I thought it was an interesting use of the episode title, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so often people who don't live in difficult neighborhoods will refer to a difficult neighborhood as a war zone. Oh, and, yeah? And this mm-hmm. really turned that on its head, Yeah, you know, that no, this is not people living in poverty being criminals this is people living in poverty being heroes right you know Mm -hmm. and i just i thought that that was there was some nuance to that that i appreciated 
Yeah, no, I thought that was really nice because we don't see that representation of people in poverty, people in these neighborhoods. We do. The representation that we usually see is, you know, they're criminals and that, and that's not the case. They're people mm-hmm. living their lives, going to work, doing their thing, raising their kids, you know, doing their best the way that everybody else is doing. You know, um, they just have a lot more struggles. And unfortunately, we have a systemic um, you know, a system that keeps everybody in poverty, in poverty, and makes it impossible for them to get out. But that's a whole other discussion. That is a completely <laughs> different podcast. Um, but it was nice to kind of see this representation of people who are, you know, who are in the that poverty situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're um, they're out there, they're fighting the good fight. They're they're scrappers. You know, and I really really like that. Um, so it's it, it was really fun. I like Gunn's moment with Angel. Where he says, I'm always on my own. And Angel says, doesn't have to be that way. And again, we're in this heroic space. I mean, the thing is, like, um, this episode, Angel is not the hero of this episode. Gunn is the hero of this episode. He is the protagonist of this episode. This is a very unusual situation where somebody who has not been previously known, who is not an established, you know, member of the the recurring cast, um, actually gets an episode that is them that's them from their pov you know Mm -hmm. um and so we get this story you know gun is the one with the most to lose which is also another identifying um characteristic of a protagonist um and it was real and he's the one who makes this really important choice Mm -hmm. you know um it's just really nicely done and even though we don't know him you know we're not invested in him you know until this episode starts right he gets his own episode and it is compelling and it's interesting and we're drawn in and invested in him really quickly, which is not an easy thing to do. No, not at all. I mean, and I thought this was incredibly well written. Um, and it made me sad that this writer only wrote one episode of Angel because he did a damn good job. He did a great job. No, it was really good. Yeah. And my next moment of perfect happiness following that deep analysis from you mm-hmm is incredibly shallow but (laughs) (laughs) angel punching his way through that door Mm -hmm. um and the camera has a close-up on his hands Mm -hmm. that man has beautiful hands no he really does he really does and i'll I'll let you know like i'm a hand girl me too hands Mm -hmm. hands do it for me so that's really nice that was really nice to see so i i understand and it is okay you can appreciate (laughs) beauty nothing wrong with appreciating a little bit of beauty um and you know and i like this like what's going on with cordy and wesley in this episode is is basically you know background chatter it's not directly related they do you know find angel and release him but you know angel's about ready to release himself and aside from that they're just kind of hanging around talking you know Mm -hmm. for this episode um but there's this moment where they're sitting together on the the park bench at the end and cordelia says i think prospectively speaking i might want to prostitute myself out to billionaire david nabbit (laughs) (laughs) and i kind of loved that from cordelia i liked how self-aware it was i liked how clear and honest it was um that she the idea of having money and having security and she talks about it maybe i could learn to love him and you know um and i think that you know circumstances like that if they're honest you know, mm-hmm. if she's like, I'm here for the money, you know, I'm here for the security. <laughs> I like you. You seem nice, you know, but she's straightforward instead of like making him believe that she loves him or whatever. I actually, you know, would have really kind of loved to have seen her date him sort of, um, you know, cynically uh-huh. and then come to have real feelings for him. 
I would have enjoyed that. I would have enjoyed seeing that. So I think a guy like David Nabbitt is worth having feelings about. I think that, you know, I mean, first of all, it's not like he's like bad looking. I mean, he's just like your standard guy and there's nothing wrong with that. And he's Mm -hmm. sweet and he's kind. And I mean, the money is honestly not the most attractive thing about him. I don't think. I mean, what do you think? No, I I don't think the money is the most attractive thing about him um, Mm -hmm. because he's very creative. Yeah. You know, he's very smart. I mean, the man is yeah. smart. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. But it's it, there's a real sweetness there. And mm-hmm. and I liked it. Um, and I liked Wes's reaction when yeah. Cordy said she was thinking about this because he didn't instantly judge her. He didn't right. react with his opinion. He just said, do you think you could? Right. And then he let her talk herself through it. Um, and, and like, I thought, okay, Wes, that's better. Like (laughs) points, points for Wesley for for not being judgmental about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and honestly, if people are honest, I don't see any, like, there's no problem with the marriage of convenience. Oh, absolutely not. As long as nothing wrong with that. Right. As long as she wasn't trying to convince David that she had feelings for him that she didn't actually have right exactly. you know if it and was as long as he was okay with that and all yeah. that, I think it would be it right. would be fine but she made the decision for herself that it was something that she didn't want to do and that she wouldn't have felt good about right you know but I mean but there's nothing wrong with that like no you know, and, is, and I think yeah. if people come to those agreements with mutual respect and like mm-hmm. true positive intent yeah you know that you could if you could say okay look you want companionship and someone mm-hmm. who is not going to make you feel bad for right you know being the geek that you are right i work with wesley i have experience in geek <laughs> i'm looking for stability and security and we could we could offer this to each other yeah, like if, let's work if, that out if both parties are aware and agree mm-hmm. and it's good for both people and there's not an imbalance of power yeah i, I see nothing wrong with it Yeah, I mean, two things are required, honesty and adult consent. Yes. You know, if you lie to people, people can't consent. That's a problem, you know? Right. Um, But I think that, like, honestly, there's nothing wrong with it. But there's also, I think, a real self-awareness that Cordy, I think, wants love. Yes. You know? And I mean, if that's what she wants, then, you know, if if you're happy without it, then that's a great thing. But she knows herself. So I feel like it's not necessarily a judgment on the idea. And using the word prostituting is a very judgmental word, you know. Yeah. Um, a marriage of convenience, you know, a relationship of convenience, I think is perfectly mm-hmm. fine. And having a business like marriage is not the worst way to have a marriage at all. No. You know? And I like how when she was talking it through, which Wesley did a good job there of just letting her talk herself through her thoughts. Yeah. She did come around to love. Yeah, because, you know, she talked about the physical and she talked about, you know, chemistry and she talked Mm -hmm. about personality, but she was like, maybe I could learn to love him. And then you could Mm -hmm. see that doubt on her face because she knows that, you know, the love is what she really wants. Right. Um, And yeah, and I like the I like the introspection of that um, and the honesty of that. And she also wasn't ashamed of considering what she was considering. Yeah, which I like, too. She wasn't mm-hmm. apologizing for it. She was just thinking about it, yeah. you know, and just like kind of and I liked the way that Wesley was a supportive friend through that. And he was talking about, you know, what is best for you? What are mm-hmm. you going to, 
you know, going to uh, do? Is that going to feel good for you? And I liked that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was nice, especially because we've seen a little bit of judgment, especially with regard to sex with Wesley. Right. And it's nice to kind of step away from that for a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And I've really liked some of the conversations. I mean, there were a lot of good conversations in this episode, especially between Gunn and Angel. When Angel came to Gunn at the end, you Mm -hmm. know, and and Gunn is kind of doing the looking over the city thing, which is a reflection of Angel, Mm -hmm. you know, and Angel goes to check on him. And Gunn says, what are you doing here? And Angel says, skulking professionally. Like, (laughs) (laughs) love that but he doesn't try to deliver a lecture mm-hmm. you know he says what am I going to tell you that you haven't already learned right and mm-hmm. I have to admit good pedagogy looks damn good on Angel oh so- <laughs> <laughs> good hands good pe- pedagogy uh, I mean it's all there it's all good. yeah I'm just saying yeah. so you know we get warrior <laughs> angel and we get like father figure angel but Yoda angel mm-hmm. kind of makes me happy Philosopher Angel is one Mm -hmm. of my favorite flavors of Angel, Mm -hmm. you know, and we get that every now and again, his ability to think deeply to, to, um, you know, have kind of this broader, wider perspective on everything. I mean, he really is a fantastic character. Oh, yeah, he really is. And yeah, there there was something about that I like because he wasn't it wasn't ego driven. It wasn't right. come, let me show you the way through this. Right. It, you know, it was just literally, there is nothing I'm going to tell you that you haven't already figured out. But you know what? I'm just going to stand here for a minute because exactly. You don't need to be you know? totally alone right now. Right. You know, really and it's just like it. he was just there. Like, mm-hmm. I like that. And then, you know, when Gunn says, how come you do it? How come you're out here? And Angel's like, what else am I going to do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually, you know, a really nice kind of thoughtful way of looking because there's a certain point where you're like, well, you know, what else am I going to do? Right. Right. I mean, you know, here I am. I have these skill sets. Here are these things that need doing. So you do them. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I liked that a lot. I thought there was a lot of really, really good stuff in this episode, but a couple of things, you know, worth staking, Mm -hmm. Um, which for me, the actual demon, the idea of a demon brothel and like, you know, sex positive and all this kind of stuff, you know, fine. We go to the demon brothel and essentially female demons are all sex objects. Uh, male demons fight for the most part. With some exceptions, female demons are treated the way that like human women are treated. It's the same damn thing. Um, and it bothered me. It felt really um, male gazy and, oh, yeah. and not fun. So I don't know. What was your response to that? So Madame Dorian's gave me pause. Mm-hmm. Um, not the idea of supernatural sex work, because if it's consensual and safe, more power Absolutely. to you, baby. Yes. But because it was only female demons servicing mm-hmm. male clients. Right. Why? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. everybody's straight, because sex is good for men and bad for women, or sex is bad right. in general, or because only men would seek out that kind of sexual experience and women wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But if the show had female demons who fought and were seen, if we had that representation right. as much as the male demons were, and then there were male demons who worked at Dorian's, mm-hmm. and oh my God, not everybody was a same-sex pairing, Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, then it wouldn't be so patriarchal right. and, and heteronormative. It would feel more sex positive. But yes. it is highly patriarchal and heteronormative. And it just kind of bugged me. And it bugged me that, you know, the that female demons were... I mean, we have the occasional female demon fighting, you mm-hmm. know. But whenever we have that, they're they're really coded as men. 
they're coded as male. Most of the time you can't tell that they're female with the exception of Jira from she, which was terrible. And, 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 you know, nothing but male gaze. Yeah. And and so overly sexualized. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so it was, and I I didn't read Madame Dorian's as sex positive. I think it had the potential. That's the thing. The idea of Madame Dorian's as a sex positive place, I'm down. Yes. Consensual and safe. Absolutely. The the presentation of it that we got Mm -hmm. was really disgusting. It was. And and if Mm -hmm. they had done it right... Yeah, I think it could have actually been an interesting place on the show because mm-hmm. Madame Dorian's is the kind of spot where Wolfram and Hart would send their top clients. Oh, yeah. And there could have been some interesting storylines there. There could have been. Did it bother you that we have a human woman basically trafficking in all these female demons? So I thought about that, and I'm not yeah. entirely sure that she's entirely human. Okay, maybe she's not. Like she, she knew was that Angel was a vampire human. right yeah, away, but she mm-hmm. knew Angel was a vampire right away. She might be um, a vampire. Yeah, she herself. might be a vampire um, because mm-hmm. she said, "You know, we don't we don't do that. Like we don't take vampires." Right. Um, and but I also thought it was interesting. Um, he said, "Fine, we'll just talk," and she said, mm-hmm. "We don't do that either." Well, yeah. a full service, open minded brothel would absolutely yeah. do that. Right. Because sometimes that's all a client would need. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I said, I think it was an interesting idea, but poorly executed. But I was interested in her as a character. Um, That's Mm -hmm. a tough business to be in. I would rather see it run by a woman than a man, I think. Yeah. Um, well, no, I was just saying like a human. Yeah, but I... You know, a human kind of trafficking in demons. Yeah, but I I don't think I was convinced that she was... She may not be. So, she may I don't not know. be entirely human. Yeah. yeah. But it was but w- it was an interesting idea that just kind of went south. Yeah, it was. It was it was a good idea that just didn't quite get it off the ground. Um mm-hmm. and that's a shame because I think it had potential to be an interesting story element in this world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Um I mean, I didn't like it. I like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so another thing, like the, the nest of vampires and like the monologuing vampire guy who's going to get staked in a minute, like, I don't care. They're all like, oh, we're going to go kill these kids and what are we going to do? And yada, yada. And here he is killing his, you know, his, uh, next in line or what, I mean, all of it is just uh, very yawn for me. I, <laughs> you know, you're not Spike, dude. Just shut up and be a vampire. <laughs> I don't care. God, that yeah. should be the rule. If your right. name is not Spike. You do not get an evil monologue. You don't get an evil monologue. If you're not the master, if you're not Spike, you don't get an evil monologue. Just shut up. You know, <laughs> so uh, so that kind of annoyed me. And then, you know, Angel, you know, goes out, talks to these vamps and he's like, just go to some other town, kill people there. Just don't kill in my town. So he has got this very strong sense of boundaries. He did the same thing with Jira. Mm-hmm. Right. You take your little war and bring it somewhere else. Sending that element of you know people who are going to like kill people to a place that may not have the protection that angel offers to los angeles and that always feels weird and out of character for me you know i mean he has this very territorial like what happens in la is his concern and what is outside of la is not his concern and that feels less like a champion to me i don't know what do you think so i read this a little differently but then i had something i wanted to see that would have fixed it 
Mm-hmm. So I read this as Angel wanting to protect Gunn and the kids from more fighting. Yeah. Because they'd seen enough violence and death for one day. And if they'd fought those vamps, the chances of human casualty were pretty high. Yeah. And they were kids. Yeah. And they you were, know, you know, yeah. they were mm-hmm. kids. And Angel couldn't have taken them all by himself right by there himself. with mm-hmm. that many potential human hostages. Right. And it reminded me of the Once More with Feeling episode from Buffy. When Giles, mm-hmm. you know, Giles is singing and he says, I wish I could lay your arms down and let you rest at last. Yeah. That Angel kind of feels that way about Gun. Yeah. But if we had gotten a 30 second clip before Angel goes to Gun at the end mm-hmm. of Angel showing up where those vamps are and staking them all. Or lighting them on fire. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then going but, to Gun, that would right. have been perfect. That would have fixed it for me that he was doing it in that moment because I knew he was doing it to protect the kids and that the right. fight wasn't going to, you know, was going to cost a couple of lives and he wasn't willing to do that. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he's, you know, he's, I mean, we've seen him do it before. He just sends people out. Right. Like, just don't do it in my town. I, I got no problem with yeah. you, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. But if he had gone and, like you said, lit them all on fire. Yeah. And not even yeah. said a word to Gun about it. Yeah. Just taking just them all them out. on fire and that... taking care of them on his own. Yeah. In and, a situation that he controlled. Right. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. could have even had some great dialogue showed up and be yeah. like, I changed my mind. We all know you're right. not going to whatever. And just blow them up. Like that would have been awesome. Never trust a vampire. Right. <laughs> Never trust a vampire from Angel. That would have been great. <laughs> exactly. No, that would have been great. It would have been nice to see that. It really would have been. But, you know, so like that was kind of you know felt a little weird but you know Mm -hmm. whatever um all right so where are you with research mode what you got so uh, first i have a snarky research question (laughs) is vamp splaining a thing because angel tried and gun was having none of it and it was pretty great Mm -hmm. when gun said i don't need advice from some middle class white dude that's dead right freaking loved that line (laughs) it is really cute (laughs) and and then i want to know why does madame dorian's deliciously demon brothel of deviant desires not accept vampires as clients that's interesting i mean okay let's look at this whole thing right we've talked at length about the idea of a soul Mm -hmm. right and that not all demons are bad you know um their clientele is human Right. So she has all of these demons working for her who, you know, may have souls who are not necessarily inherently evil the way the vampires are. Right. Having vampires that might snack on her clients would obviously be bad for business. Oh, that's true. Right. And you can't. And like, you know, like we just said, never trust a vampire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I think that that kind of makes sense. I don't know. What do you think? I think there's a part of me that always wanted to go to law school. Yeah. And if I was a supernatural attorney in LA, I think I would be putting together a class action suit where a vampires class. were a protected class. Ah. Ah. Because it felt very discriminatory. You would fit in heart. <laughs> I'm, mean, sure that, girl, I'm sure that they did that. <laughs> me and Lila would be competing for the oh, corner office and I would take would. her down. Oh my God. It would be ah. awesome. I love it. But like, really, I felt. It was sort of kind of unfair. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why are no, it is. It is. She didn't I mean, say I mean, like, we don't take demons. Yeah. Right. She said we don't take vampires. We don't take vampires. I, I mean, I get it. If your clientele is human and vampires eat humans, that's something where I can understand, you know, like refusing service to a particular class of people who like eat people. Like, 
I can understand that. But I think I would really love to see your lawsuit on that, though. Yeah. And I mean, Wolfram and Hart has ways of managing vampires on present on, you mm-hmm. know, on the on sure. presence sure. on the premises. And, yeah. And, yeah. On the sorry, I can't talk on the premises. The word that will not come out of my mouth. <laughs> um, but I think Madame Dorian, she's savvy enough. Like, I don't think yeah. it was fear. I think there was something else. And yeah. it felt like a missed story opportunity to not dig into that a little bit. No, it's interesting. I mean, the, Madame Dorian's is absolutely a missed opportunity. It's kind of a swing and a miss, I yeah. think, overall in that. Um, I, I love, I, one of my big questions, I think, from this episode is something that goes back again to things that we've discussed uh, before. The idea of vampire love, mm-hmm. right? Because here we have Alana after she's been turned and she's talking to gun and she's trying to convince him to let her turn him Mm -hmm. you know i feel great i can we can live forever you can go everywhere with me we'll you know we'll do everything and we'll have no guilt we'll have no sadness it's going to be great you know and um she's pitching that whole life to him you know and she's like it's my turn to look out for you now Right. So here we have, you know, I mean, we started at the beginning of Buffy with it's just the demon walking around in, you know, an outfit that looks like your friend. Your friend is not there anymore. But I think that we've proven over time that, yes, they are. The person that the vampire used to be is still very much a part of who that vampire is. And they bring with them their love. Oh, yeah. You know, they just don't have a conscience. They don't have guilt. It's simple. It's clear. You know, like it may feel a lot better to be like an evil vampire than it does to be human you know I, yeah. yeah um i thought a lot about that too especially because mm-hmm. alana didn't try to force gun like she didn't yeah she she didn't just sneak up behind him grab him and turn him right. she wanted him to make that choice yeah um and it was very obvious that she still loved him you know, mm-hmm. and, and when she, she even told him, you know, you were made for this. Right. And she's taunting him about why he can't kill her. And she holds her arms completely open. Yeah. You know, where he's got a free shot to stake her. But he doesn't stake her until he's embracing her. And there was there was something really beautiful about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's telling him, you can't kill me because you've got the guilt. And I have the greatest guilt cure ever. I can free mm-hmm. you. And... It was just so well done. There was still a lot of her personality intact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she still loves Gun, And so we have textual evidence here. Yeah. And also in Buffy to support the notion that vampires can and do love. Therefore, the soul is not required for love. Right. So what does that say right. about the nature and purpose of the human soul and the nature and purpose of love? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I remember when Drusilla says this, we can fall in love, just not always wisely. Right. Right. You know, she says that at one point. I don't know. It might be a spoiler for stuff that's to come in Buffy. But anyway. Yeah. But but Um, she says we do love. We can love quite well. Yeah. Um, And and in the prodigal that we just watched, Mm -hmm. you know, Darla told Angel that death Mm -hmm. is not enough to cure the love that you bring with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I just think that that is a really interesting pushback on what typically we might think of for, as the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I started wondering, like, would that actually appeal to someone? Because I am all for getting vamped. If Spike yeah. or Angel wants to come spend some quality time with me or Darla mm-hmm. or Drew, like, I'm all for it because it would give me unlimited reading time. Right. And I'm a night owl anyway. Mm-hmm. And I can still have coffee. And like, I, that works for me. 
Right. But the thought of right. being myself without a conscience is terrifying. Like, yeah. horrifying. I would <laughs> never want that. Um, right. But I wonder if in some way it would be appealing if you're still partly you, but -hmm. you don't have to feel bad. Yeah. You know, but like we know they still feel heartache. We know they still feel pain, but they Mm -hmm. don't feel guilt or, you know, the, that weight of consciousness. They don't feel guilt. They don't have a conscience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that like in the end, like what is the price that you pay to be a good person? You know, like what is the price that you pay to um to live according to you know like a moral code and and doing the right thing right Right. and not even when you're not able to do the right thing but Mm -hmm. but to care about that at all um and i wonder is that essentially human are we born with that with that care yeah you know and and we've seen an episode of angel that says not all of us are not all of us are. So it's, I it's, mean, that's that's patently true. Yeah. I mean, you, oh, can, yeah. you can tell just by looking around that there are people out there in the world who don't have guilt, who don't have a conscience, who don't have empathy and behave as such. And yeah. you see what they do, you know. Like Cordy um, said before, I've dated that guy like a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, to be fair, though, some psychopaths, are surgeons who save lives on a regular basis right do it because it you know because it feeds their ego because they're good at it but they're but they're still like the the net result is it is better for me to um which is what it all comes down to right when you don't consider anybody else the only thing you consider is yourself and for a lot of people it is better to find a you know a thing that you can do that's of value within society Mm -hmm. because that in the end is going to be better than hurting people breaking laws you know doing terrible things because eventually all of that catches up with you you know and you end up paying a price for it you always end up paying a price for the evil that you do you know um so I think that it's it's a really interesting question, you know, like how wonderful would it be to not feel that guilt, you know, to not feel bad all the time? Because I think as humans, that's kind of part of the the human condition. And also just to not feel like I'm I'm I've got a very strong sense of empathy. Like I feel mm-hmm. other people's experiences. I feel their pain when I see somebody get hurt. I will actually feel pain, Aww. you know, from it. Um, and it's just kind of like the way that I've always been and how much would I love to have that like you know turned down a little bit right you know um but i think i developed it like from my childhood as part of a um a survival mechanism and it's just something that's always been a part of me ever since you know this like extreme sensitivity to how other people are feeling Mm -hmm. and um so like i look at that and i think god it'd be nice you know it would be nice to not feel that but i wouldn't want to be a person i think that i think that you pay too high a price for being a person who does that to other people. Yeah, I am not tempted by that for one second. I know myself too well. That is (laughs) not a space I want to be in. But I did really like, so, you know, Charles has to decide to stake Alana, but he also has a second to decide, do I want to go be a vampire with my sister? And and it really kind of hinges on that identity and that choice. And then right after that, we have Mm -hmm. Angel, you know, facing down these vamps that are coming after these kids. And the leader guy asks Angel, who the hell are you? And Angel says, the name's Angelus. And I thought that was fascinating that he introduced himself as Angelus instead of Angel. Right. 
Right. Because you think about that identity. Right. Right. Exactly. But within, he's code he's code switching. Yeah. Right? He's in his community now and they don't know Angel, but they know Angelus. Angelus is famous. Right. Yeah. Somebody's going to somebody's going to be like, oh, damn, you know, <laughs> um, when they hear that. And I think that that is um, that it was a really interesting moment and something that's that's easy to miss oh yeah you know? i thought so too but it was very cool and like i, I, I thought that, that was cool yeah mm-hmm. and some of that reflection and contrast you know the power of that contrast that we've seen in mm-hmm. other episodes was very strong for me in this one um mm-hmm. because you have angel acting as a guardian angel but yeah. calling himself angelus Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, you know, the extremes of L.A. with incredible wealth mm-hmm. on one side and incredible poverty on the other. Mm-hmm. You've got found family within Team Angel and within Guns Crew. And then the epitome of loneliness with Nabbit, you know, who yeah. can afford to throw these lavish parties, but doesn't even talk to any of the people who show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought that kind of like the two clients, even though Gun wasn't a client, but like the two people they were trying to help yeah. in this episode. So with. Net um with Nabbit, you know, he paid for the thrills and companionship at a demon brothel and then faced the higher price of blackmail, but he could easily afford to hire help to make that pain go away. Right. You know, his mm-hmm. reputation was on the line, his life wasn't, and he can yes. pretend to be a warrior and joke about Dungeons and Dragons because he's never been caught in the first and never had to face the second. Right. But mm-hmm. Gun lives without any safety at all. He doesn't even have the basic needs of food and shelter met on a daily basis. And yet he chooses to fight vampires, protect his sister, take care of a group of kids that need his guidance. He knows what it's like to sleep in a dungeon, and he's learned to swing a sword at the dragons in his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And Gunn's pain of having to stake, you know, the sister that he loves so much is something Angel can never fix. Right. And mm-hmm. and so like the contrast between those those two stories I just found incredibly engaging. Yeah. You know? And I thought it was well done. And then I found myself in a like a narrative story theory space that I have yeah. no idea how to navigate. So I was <laughs> gonna bring this to you because mm-hmm. we have gun and angel, right? They're yeah. both leaders. They're both wounded warriors. They're both protectors, but their energy and personality are different enough that they can work well together and earn each other's respect without playing the same role on the team. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the story thought behind that, and I can't define my terms, but I love that alchemy of sameness and difference between two powerful, compelling characters. Yeah, no, I think it is. It's really cool. I mean, when you have a character who is in a completely different situation from another character, some of them call that a foil because they kind mm. of reflect on each other. Like it is, it is because they're next to each other that they can they can point out we we see the different elements of each of them. Like you know, you need light in order to understand dark and vice versa, right? Okay. And I don't think that that Gun and Angel are that different. So we we sort of have um, a, a somewhat like a doppelganger. You know, okay. they are very, very similar, but they come from completely different places, mm-hmm. right? You know, Gun is alive. Gun is human. Gun is incredibly young and yet has Angel's strength and um, thoughtfulness and intelligence and power, you know, and bravery and courage. Like these are all things that they both have. So we see the things that are the same and that kind of shines a light on their differences. Oh, God, you know? you're so smart. I love that. I don't know that I actually answered it at all, but yes, you um, did. That's fantastic. Okay. So, but I yes. mean, that's that's kind of you know how how those pairings can work, you know, um, and I think it's really nice, and they do work really well together, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was just a great 
great episode. I think Warzone is is one of the best ones we've had this season so far. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. All right. So what you got to brood on? So in Warzone, we meet Gunn, um, who mm-hmm. is awesome in all the ways, and his badass monster truck. Gunn was the star of this episode, and it was inspiring and heart-wrenching to see the fight against darkness and the real cost of that fight yeah. from someone's perspective other than Angel. And it was really good to see Angel in the mentor role. So Mm -hmm. this was a great story. It was well written. It was well acted. It was well crafted. And if it weren't for the patriarchy rearing its ugly head at the demon brothel, I wouldn't have had a single thing to stake. Yeah. I love Gunn and I'm fond of Nabbit. And while I hated Alana's death, this was just a damn good episode of Angel. You know, it really was. And funny enough, it's followed by another damn good episode, Blind Date. In Blind Date, Lindsay gets a favorite assassin of Wolfram and Hart off on a murder charge, which is easy because she's blind. But when he discovers her next marks are children, he switches sides and pulls Angel in to save the day. They pull off a heist on Wolfram and Hart to get the information, at which point Angel goes off book and takes a scroll from the vault. Wolfram and Hart catch Lindsay, but instead of killing him, the CEO of Evil, Holland Manners, gives him a choice to figure out his place in the world. Angel and Lindsay save the kids, but when Manners recognizes Lindsay's potential and offers him a big raise and a promotion, Lindsay takes the deal, finally learning his place in the world. Meanwhile, Wesley translates the scroll that Angel stole and discovers that it talks directly about Angel, the vampire with a soul, who will have a role to play in the battle of good versus evil, showing Angel that he has a place in the world, too. Blind Date aired on May 16th, 2000. It was directed by Thomas J. Wright, who will return to direct season two's Epiphany, and written by Janine Renshaw, who co-wrote I Will Remember You and I've Got You Under My Skin. Renshaw will return to co-write season four's The House Always Wins. All right. So um, I got to tell you, I am all moments of perfect happiness and blind date. I didn't have a single thing to stake. Me too. Okay, great. So let's go ahead with our moments of perfect happiness. What you got for me? So I am a sucker for stories that are magical and philosophical, Mm -hmm. good legal dramas, and clever heists. So this episode was made specifically to delight me. (laughs) And we have the five-man band with Angel, Cordy, Wes, Lindsay, and Gunn working together, and that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And someone please write a kick-ass, snarky, dark, poetic, supernatural crime show. Angel meets The Good Wife meets Ocean's 8, because I would patron the hell out of that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, this was such a great episode. I love the heist. All of it was so, so much fun. Yeah, it was so great. And I love the cuts that they made, the visual cuts here. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, you know, we cut from that street seller being kind to Vanessa because he sees mm-hmm. a blind woman. And we cut from that to Angel hurling vamps against the wall. Right. And then we cut to Vanessa hurling Angel into the wall. Right. <laughs> I just loved that. <laughs> I love that. I love that we have a blind assassin, mm-hmm. right? You know, so we have this, I mean, you tend to see very able, we talk a lot about heteronormativity and the patri- patriarchy and everything, but, you know, ableism is a thing. We always see, you know, like, you know, traditionally able people in all of these, you know, positions. And here we have a blind woman who is kicking ass Mm -hmm. and it's kind of awesome and i really liked it i mean yeah she's evil i don't care shouldn't have to be good right you know i want her to be kick ass you know i want i want to see 
more varieties just of human being, mm-hmm. you know, in our storytelling. So that was really fun. Um, and Vanessa Brewer played by Jennifer Badger, who was a prolific Hollywood stunt person and did stunts for a few seasons of Buffy. And when I was watching her, I was thinking, that's Faith. Oh, That's like Faith fighting. I think, I don't know. I mean, but she kind of has a Faith, like you know physicality oh it, yeah she? she really does that's so that's I think she interesting might have been faith stubble i don't know for sure but i think she might have been faith stubble in uh in buffy that is really cool i loved mm-hmm. it when wesley and cordy were trying to figure her out and then wesley realized maybe she wasn't a demon you know and he said yeah. angel said it was if she anticipated his actions before he carried them out and cordy said a handy skill in a fight or on a date. I know. <laughs> just crack Cordy me up. always brings everything back. You know, mm-hmm. she always brings everything back to men and sex and dating. And it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. And I love the way that she was so, you know, capable. She found the assassin really quickly. Um, you know, she says our first stop doesn't always have to be the world of the weird, you know. Sometimes actual human people can just be awful. Yes. You know? <laughs> she just uses traditional court records to find this woman. So I thought that was really cool. It was cool. And, you know, anytime we have Lindsay, oh. especially in full Lindsay mode, mm-hmm. it's gonna make me happy. And yes. Angel walking into that courtroom right when Lindsay's talking about his poor, pitiful client and yeah. throwing a knife at Vanessa from the back of the room and her catching yeah. it so perfectly was fantastic. Oh, it was it was really good. It was really I loved all of that, you know, and the thing is, this episode is we got courtroom drama, we got heist, we've got like all this stuff happening. Um, there's so much and it feels a little bit like an overpacked suitcase, except that it's it's a suitcase where everything has been rolled up very nicely, very neatly. Mm-hmm. Everything is in its place and it actually fits. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with multiple moments of perfect yeah. happiness. No, absolutely. You know, that's I think it's always a thing to go for. Whenever you can. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Holland Manners. This is where he shows up, played by Sam Anderson, who some of you may remember as Bernard from Lost, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's it's very fun to see him. I always get excited every time I see people from Lost because Lost is one of the TV shows that I have not yet done a podcast about. Really want to do a podcast about Lost. Ah. So it's kind of... <laughs> Uh, it's on my someday list of things after I'm done with all the current things I'm doing. Maybe, so it'll be a few years. Maybe yeah, when we finish Still Dead, because Lost brings to me all the questions. Ooh, oh. let's do it. All right. After Still, Still Lost. Dead, we're do Lost. <laughs> Still Lost. <laughs> okay. Coming 2021. <laughs> Still Lost from Chipperish Media. Um, I, I love what they did with Holland Manners here. I love the way that they wrote everything around this theme and instead of feeling like we're banging the drum too much it just has this really lovely resonance this like theme of belonging Mm -hmm. um you know what he says took me a while to figure out how the world was put together and where i belonged in it he says you're not going to be happy until you find your place in the scheme of things and it's really nice to kind of see evil Yoda, right? Oh, yeah. You know, like they're kind of like trying to mentor Lindsay, seeing himself in Lindsay. It's, you know, and to him, it's just there are two sides. You choose one. One's as good as the other. Ours just happens to be evil. Yeah. You know, um, it's really interesting. And I love Sam Anderson in that role. Oh, yeah, me too. And I like the contrast between Holland and Lindsay. Like, yeah. and we see that so well just with Lindsay being so unnerved by Vanessa and then Holland says he's unnerved too, but Lindsay can't hide it like Holland can. 
Um, and Holland Manners, especially his last name is Manners, and he's so right. genteel. Um, right. He's such a smooth, calm villain. And like I was imagining him hanging out with Mayor Wilkins in Sunnydale, like oh, yeah. politely drinking tea and plotting the apocalypse. Right. Sure. No, absolutely. I could totally see that. You know, um, there is something very, um, very interesting in those contrasts within this character, like this elegant gentleness, mm-hmm. you know, and yet so completely coldly evil. Yes. You know, like Lindsay is evil, you know, but he's not cold. Right. Like Holland is cold mm-hmm. and I kind of like it. Yeah. You know, it, I works. it was really good. And I love Lindsay's struggle with conscience, you know, when it comes to the kids, like anybody else, I think he can convince himself that, you know, it's like one of these things, like if you show up, if I show up on your doorstep, then you did something to bring me there. Like um, John Cusack from um, Gross Point, yeah. Point, you know, <laughs> where he's an assassin. He's like, if I show up on your doorstep, you did something to bring me there. So I think that Lindsay sees what he's doing is being, you know, a fair play, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's people on this stage who got on this stage knowing what was involved, you know? Um, But he has this struggle of conscience when it comes to children, Mm -hmm. you know? And he has to make a choice. And again, like, there's nothing better for defining a character, for letting us get to know somebody than being able to see them make a choice and what that choice is, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And it's funny, too, because Holland reads Lindsay. Like, Holland seems to know Lindsay better, I think, than Lindsay knows himself, and way better than we know Lindsay. Oh, yeah. You know, he says, I'm offering you the world, and I'm betting you take it. Yes. Like, he's playing this chess game with him, which I just love. And he's also acknowledging, okay, I'm asking you to level up in evil here. We're talking about assassinating Mm -hmm. these kids. And and he asked Lindsay, is this too shocking for you? Mm -hmm. And you can see Lindsay pause because he's got to craft an answer that he can give to Holland. And he says, I'm just thinking it might be for a jury. Right. But you Mm -hmm. know, he's horrified. Right. And I just, I like that there's this, you know, Holland is, is encouraging him, but there's also this, this tension between them. Um, Mm -hmm. And Lindsay is, you know, scared of Holland for good reason, but he also wants to impress him. So like, I just, I really liked the balance between the two of them and and how it played out. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I loved, you know, when the verdict came back for Vanessa and she was acquitted, Mm -hmm. we see Angel just lose his shit. And like, he's smashing his office and throwing his phone. And he's, he's Mm -hmm. so furious and frustrated. And we see his emotions and physical action again. And he's just, Mm ranting at the injustice of it all you know how am Mm -hmm. i supposed to fight evil if they won't even put it behind bars right Mm -hmm. i didn't cause it i can't fix it i can't do anything about it you know this is their Mm -hmm. rules their game i have no place in the world at all and it was like and then he he kind of comes back to the bad guys and says you know they have the power but no guilt no torment no consequences it's pure i remember what that was like sometimes i miss that clarity and yeah. that is one of my favorite lines from the show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I like that it shows goodness is complicated. Evil yeah. is simple. Yeah. You know, and I and I really liked the contrast there. Yeah. No, I like looking at evil like, you know, you look at good and evil and it does feel like this dichotomy. Good is good and evil is evil. And there you go, mm-hmm. you know, without really talking about those elements of it. You don't really hear people talk that much about the simplicity and the clarity mm-hmm. of evil, 
you know? Um, and I think that that's really cool. And I love the way they do that here. Oh, me too. And then Lindsay walks in and asks Angel for help. And he says, you think you've got me all figured out. And it's interesting because Lindsay also thinks he's got Angel all figured out. Yeah. You know, he knows Angel's history is Liam, like down to what his father did for a living. And he's trying to tell Angel his own history and Angel could Mm -hmm. not care less. Yeah. I thought that that was just really interesting. Yeah. I'm usually not a big fan of the backstory. Like, here, let me tell you all about my childhood, Mm -hmm. you know? They did a great job with it here. You know, you've never seen anything like real poverty. Like he knows Angel's history. Mm -hmm. He knows that Angel was raised, you know, the son of a a man who was well-to-do, was a merchant, you know. And um, you see how Lindsay got where he was. Like, you know, Holland, and again, it it is this real contrast where you can see Holland and Lindsay in their differences reflecting on each other, Mm -hmm. right? That, um, that, Lindsay is talking about the reasons why he made this choice. You know, I think Holland just knows it's evil and that's fine. And this is the side that I choose. But Lindsay says, you know, so yeah, I had a choice. You get stepped on or you get to stepping, mm-hmm. right? You know, that it's it's not about being evil for evil's sake. It's about doing what he has to do to not have to live like that again, to oh, not yeah. be in that position again. You know, and when he tells the story about his dad, You know, you can see that from two different angles. One is these guys are just doing their job. They're coming to repossess the house, you know, and kick them out. And his dad's joking with them because he's a good man. Right. You know, and what Lindsay sees is weakness. Right. You know, but like if you look at that in a different angle, that's strength. Oh, yeah. You know, his father sounds like a good man, you know, but Lindsay, all Lindsay could see was, you know, these people are taking our home and you're, you know, offering them milk and cookies, mm-hmm. right? You know, so I love that. Um, but, I, you know, it, it, given how I usually feel about like these kinds of backstory monologues, I, I think I hate almost all of them, except maybe this one. Like, I thought this one was <laughs> well done. But uh, Angel's response, which is so typically my response, like, I nodded off. Did you get to the part where you're evil? You know? <laughs> such a great line. I love, I love that. And when I was listening to Lindsay's backstory, like all of mm-hmm. the happy spots of my brain were lighting up because yeah, the man slips into a Southern drawl mm-hmm. when he's passionate. You know, he says dirt poor and he calls his father daddy. And when he's like, you either get stepped on or you get to step in. Like that's a mm-hmm. very Southern expression. Yeah. Um, and then later, Lindsay shields the children while Angel and Vanessa are fighting, like he's shielding them with his own body. Yeah. So there might be enough good in him for me not to feel terrible about finding him completely irresistible, right? No, you shouldn't feel bad. Uh, Lindsay's complicated. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's chosen evil, you know, I mean, so there is that. Yeah. Right? Um, but he's complicated and he's conflicted. But mama. And there's hope for him. I love him. But mama, but I mama, love him. I love him. <laughs> so I was just cracking myself up about that. Um, and I love that even in this moment of like vulnerability and fear, there's still such snark between the yes. two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lindsay says other companies have drug testing. We have mind readers. I go back there. They're going to kill me. And Angel's like, that's what we call an acceptable risk. All right. <laughs> like, Damn, Angel. <laughs> you know, and and I love that snark in different flavors from different characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when Angel went to Gunn for help and Gunn's like, mm-hmm. 
I'm not really interested in some rich guy's heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what? So good. Right, because <laughs> right. Gunn is living in that space that Lindsay wasn't strong enough to stay in. Oh, oh, God, that's a beautiful point, Lonnie. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when you see Gunn living in the kind of poverty that, you know, Lindsay was talking about, you know, but Lindsay didn't have the strength. He didn't have the strength to see his father's goodness. Mm -hmm. You know, all he saw was you get stepped on or you get to step in. Yeah. Like, that's it. You know, it's a really interesting, you know, kind of perspective there. And I love, I love bringing Gun in. Oh, yeah. I love Gun <laughs> in the lobby. I love the heist. The heist uh -huh. is wonderful and reminds me of Leverage, of course, mm -hmm. which was a show that Christian Kane starred in, you know. Um, so it was really fun to see him in that context because we're, you know, if you watch Leverage, and I highly recommend that you do, um, you're going to see a lot of that just really fantastic stuff with uh with Christian Kane who plays Lindsay and, and also plays a character named Elliot on, on Leverage and it's fantastic um but I love you know that they have this moment where they know that you know Angel is going to be detected you know by the vampire detectors and so then Gunn brings in makes us you know makes a big scene it's just so wonderful and I love that evil white folks really do have a mechanism yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is so wonderful i love everything he does his friends bring in the vampire they leave it in the middle of the lobby they cause this big distraction and he's just helping out you know yeah. he's helping angel and i i love that he's participating and kind of you know slowly becoming one of the one of the people that we rely on you know part of the community oh so it's, yeah it's pretty and, awesome and i mm -hmm. love just the irony of him standing in the lobby of wolferman hart yelling right. somebody get me a lawyer because my civil rights have <laughs> seriously been violated and like it shows he is uh -huh. just as up for role playing as angel is and he is yes. fearless and he is fantastic I know, I know. I absolutely love it. Um, I love the, you know, this whole heist, the way that they build it. It's so beautifully done. And heists are so difficult, mm -hmm. you know, and you pull all that stuff off. I love that Wesley did the research about the demon that guards the vault. You yeah. Know, and all Angel had to do was blow some specific dust in his face <laughs> and he just falls right over. And I was like, that's right. Uh -huh. I love it. You know, um, it was all planned out to the middle. It. everybody's got a watch on everybody i mean it's just fantastic i thought it was great oh yeah well executed heist are so mm -hmm. much fun they're so fun um, and then i loved this moment when angel finds the scroll because yeah. it's a pause you have this like action heist action heist the music is high energy and suspenseful mm -hmm. and then the music completely changes and mm -hmm. we have this this kind of magical quiet and angel is just yeah. drawn to that scroll yeah and the music there just paints such a beautiful contrast between what happens before and what happens after um, right because it takes us out of the heist exactly into this unexpected like everything in the heist is planned perfectly right down to the minute right but that scroll is that unexpected thing. And I mean, that's the thing about a great heist story is that everything's planned, something goes wrong, and they have to improvise. You know? right. And here we have nothing really going wrong, but a moment where Angel goes off book, you know? Yes. And what does that mean? I love that. Well, and I love it, too, because, you you know, if you go back to that classic argument of mm -hmm. do we write our own destinies or is fate in charge? Yeah. You kind of have this moment there where we're turning that upside down, mm -hmm. you know, and I just loved it. Um, yeah. And then we also get Lila. 
Yeah. And she is like cool as can be. There's like the equivalent of an unannounced drug test at the company, right. you know, mm-hmm. with the mind readers and everybody right. else is kind of nervous, you know, and she's just like, oh, I'm never going to make my lunch. Like, right. Because <laughs> she knows. She knows. She knows she is loyal to evil. She's got nothing to worry about. Yeah. I just yeah. love that about her. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's really good. I love the, um, you know, we've got the scroll. We've got this long form story going on. Um, it's just some really, really great stuff. I love, um, you know, like showing, demonstrating evil, which is something we've done a couple of times, but it's always effective when we have uh, Holland Manor shooting evil Bazinga, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, and I'm willing to kill one of my own and that's how it works. Um, and I, I love that, you know, he does that, but he also knows that Lindsay has betrayed betrayed him oh yeah but what lee mercer did was so much less of a, of a betrayal mm-hmm. than what Lindsay did but holland is interested in Lindsay, that he sees something in Lindsay that he obviously did not see in lee mercer um and so i think that that is even though what Lindsay did was worse he gets to live because he has so much more potential and i like what that says about Lindsay, and it, it demonstrates for us it's a way of showing us who Lindsay is, that Lindsay is serious business and Holland knows it, you know, Um, that he has serious evil potential. And so in the fight for Lindsay's soul or lack thereof, right, Um, you know, he's worth the fighting, whereas Lee Mercer was not, you know, and so I really, I loved that whole thing. I thought it was great. Yeah. And Holland, like right after he shoots evil Bazinga, Mm -hmm. he's just so calm. Terminating an employee is never pleasant. That's all. Right. <laughs> Everybody, go. Good work. Well done. Right. Almost likely kill yeah. you in the morning. Almost um, likely. <laughs> but then he's like, oh, Lindsay, why don't you yeah. hang on for a minute? Oh, mm-hmm. God, it was so good. Because, like, you think know, Lindsay's going to get away free. with it. And then you're like, oh, hell. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't, but it's but what he gets is is an escalation, mm-hmm. right? It's not just I've been caught and now I'm going to get killed. I've been caught and now you know everything. All the stakes are even higher than they were, right? You know, um, so yeah, it's it's really fantastic. And the direction in this, I thought was was really good. Like I love all the the angled, you know, the Dutch angles that they've got throughout the heist, mm-hmm. showing us when things are under control and when things are not. You know, it's a really nice kind of uh, you know increasing that sense of tension throughout at the heist as we move forward through it so i thought that that was fantastic um i love the fact that they brought cordelia a zip drive now i don't know if you remember do you remember zip drive so i was deeply traumatized by a zip drive oh because no. i lost like 15 pages of my master's thesis no. when, yes oh when God. i was writing it because of a faulty zip drive so uh-huh. there, there's a lot of pain for me in that space. Oh, I understand. <laughs> no, I understand. But I love like whenever I see the old technology, yeah. I'm like zip drives. Okay. For any of you youngins there uh, listening to this, <laughs> zip drives were a thing for like a nanosecond between um, floppy drives, little three and a half inch, just the whole 1.44 megabytes. <laughs> Um, and CDs, which you could burn and would hold like a ton more information, you know. Um, and so zip drives were like 100 megabytes, you know, and they had, you had to have the drive and the disks and they were all very specific. And it was, it was like a nanosecond of technology Mm -hmm. for like a year. People were using zip drives and if you missed it, it just didn't happen, you know? So they did not hang around for long, but when they were around, they were like ubiquitous. They were everywhere. So, um, so it was, it's always fun for me to see technology whenever 
I see a five and a quarter inch floppy, uh-huh. you know, I'm always like, oh my God, it's, <laughs> you know. I have an old zip drive, ain't a zip disc in a, the, no, you know, the little plastic cases they came in. Yeah. I have yeah. one of those. I use it as a coaster in my office. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. It's a perfect shape to hold a cup of coffee. I (laughs) know. But, I mean, that was, like, at that time, you were like, oh, my God, 100 megabytes. It'll hold all this space. And then, like, a day later, CDs came out. And that became the the media of the time until streaming became a thing. But, yeah, it's it's just as crazy. I remember when we learned about zip drives, um, the person Mm -hmm. doing the demo at the university brought in 100 floppy disks. Uh-huh. And they were like, "What you know, one of these equals a hundred of these. And I was like, uh, oh, my God, this is amazing. I know, <laughs> right? It was so crazy. And you look back and just think, if I had just waited. Right. You know, I went out and bought one of those things. It was, you know, like a hundred yep. bucks at the time, which was not cheap. Yep. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it was okay. crazy. Anyway, that, anyway, that was, you know, my walk down technology <laughs> memory lane. Well, but um, it's um, fun to, to compare like Cordelia yeah. becoming so tech savvy and wesley going back old old school with the scroll right scroll exactly this was how information used to be exactly um and wesley (laughs) is like sensing the importance of that Mm -hmm. scroll you know angel was drawn to it but so is wes Mm -hmm. and he's going to translate it and the anticipation is killing me because wesley is coming to the edge and the edge is calling him and he can feel it and i am here for it and i know it's it's so good (laughs) so good um i love it and i love like wes is so calm about that scroll you know he's Mm -hmm. very gently asking angel why did you take it you know what do you think Mm -hmm. it was like he's in this contemplative space and then we cut to holland and Lindsay, and holland Mm -hmm. is in that calm you know contemplative space and Mm -hmm. he asks you know do I nod to my friend behind me, you know, to shoot mm-hmm. Lindsay? And then there's like the longest, most torturous pause in the history of the world. Right. And he says, no, I don't. Lindsay, I <laughs> believe in you. And the thing is, yeah. real power doesn't have to mm-hmm. raise its voice. Right. And we see that from mm-hmm. Holland, but we also see that from Wesley. Oh, yeah. That's nice. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that reflection. But yeah, that's definitely there. That is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I love Cordy calling Willow <laughs> to decrypt the files. And then she's so excited. Guess what they're doing? They're decrypting files too. You know, and it's so excited. And it is, it's so funny because you think back to Cordy and Willow from like the beginning of Buffy. Yeah. You know, and like she's so excited about Willow now. And it was really, really fun. It was. And that. I was, I was cracking myself up saying, don't hit D for deliver Cordy. Like, right. <laughs> Willow might not be done fucking with you, and she has good reason, so don't hit Control-D. <laughs> exactly. Very early Buffy reference. Go back and watch it if you haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really fun. I did, and I like seeing Cordy's appreciation for Willow. Yeah. Like, that was, yeah, I like it too. That was really good. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a small moment, but I love how the mentor smiles at the blind children when he brings their lunch, mm-hmm. even yeah. though they can't see his facial expression. Right. I just liked yeah, I like that. That's nice. Mm-hmm. And the fighting choreography with Angel and Vanessa is fantastic. Yeah. And Angel's vampirism gives him the advantage here because she can't sense his body heat. You know, right. and she can't see him unless he moves. And so mm-hmm. in stillness, this man of action defeats the assassin. 
Yes. And I love that. That's the thing. Like the fight scenes that are just punch, punch, kick, kick, whatever. It's like, who cares? Right. But when they do these like interesting things within the fight scenes, they become so much more meaningful and so much more interesting. I love that. Oh, yeah. Me too. And and of course, the scroll and Wesley, oh, like yeah. I can't even. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Wesley says to Angel... There is a design, Angel, hidden in the chaos as it may be, but it's there and you have a place in it. And that is the scholar I love. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and I like the idea of chaos and design because I think it would be really easy to say evil is chaotic, whereas good follows a design. But in this show, mm-hmm. I think that the inverse is actually true. Right. Evil has yeah. a very clear design and goodness is chaotic and unclear and and i like how they're turning that on its head yeah you know and because i think it's it's really it's really interesting it's crunchy it's nuanced mm -hmm. i I love it. oh yeah and then we close with that cut from Lindsay looking out the window at the city skyline to angel on the roof looking at the same city skyline and there was a poetic Mm -hmm. symmetry there that just spoke to me i know it's just it's really great because good and evil exist in the same space it's a shared space right and and neither one of them are really purely completely on either side yeah there's mm-hmm. still goodness in Lindsay. there's still and evil, still in, evil angel. in angel yeah you know and i just i really like that so, I, I mean this so episode cool. was flawless so fantastic so we got nothing to stake i mean there nope. was literally i was like i got nothing i love this no. episode from beginning to end i think it is so strong it's so incredibly good so let's skip right ahead to research mode okay so what do you got in research mode um basically a scroll so like, uh-huh. i have like all the thoughts right mm-hmm. but the first one is snark because was it just me or did evil bazinga want to do some serious devious legal maneuvering with Lindsay? Oh, I didn't catch up on that. Well, you'll have to watch it because, like, the personal Uh space between Lee Mercer and Lindsay, like, Lee is crossing that line. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, huh, somebody wants a study session. That's, that's, (laughs) you know what? That's Christian Kane. Like, I think just anybody. Yeah. Anybody gets close enough to Christian Kane, they instantly land on the Kinsey scale that gets them with him. That's true. Like, that's it. I can see that. (laughs) I can totally see that. I... I do not judge Evil Bazinga at all. No, not even. I don't blame him. But I just thought it was interesting. Um, it is kind of interesting. And yeah. I want to know more about the mind readers at Wolfram and Hart. Mm-hmm. Are they human? Where does their power come from? And how does it work? And they have two seers. So are there two for corroboration? Or do they have mm-hmm. to work together to get the scene done? Like, it's... I don't know. I think they're probably checks on each other, right? Because if one of them lies... The other one can tell. Yeah, but I, then you need a third, mm. really, for a tiebreaker. But, like, I just, I wanted to know more yes. about them and how that works. Like, we see oh, so yeah, much interesting, interesting stuff at Wolfram and Hart that we don't get the details mm-hmm. on. And I want, yeah. like, the employee handbook that explains. There's a greater world building going on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, I love in this episode how, how we stick so faithfully to this theme of belonging 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have Holland Manners. Uh, he took me a while to figure out how the role was put together and where I belonged in it. So we keep talking about belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Angel is talking about it's their courtroom, not mine, their rules, their game. You know, nothing ever changes. Um, you know, this this idea of where he belongs in that scheme between good and evil, mm-hmm. you know, because he has a foot in both camps. You know, I mean, let's face it. Yep. Right. Holland Manners coming back when he's talking with Lindsay. You know, I'm talking about that sharp clear sense of self a man gains once he's truly found his place in the world that it's it's a matter of choosing Mm -hmm. right I mean it's all about choice it's all about where are you going to stand and until you clearly make the choice which Lindsay had not done up until that point he just was there right Um, he didn't really have the choice to leave until now Um, and it's really interesting like to to have them work so um so strongly Mm -hmm. with this this theme i mean we don't see themes presented with this much uh dedication and clarity um in a lot of episodes of television you know but this has such a strong philosophical bent oh yeah um and i love when we get to that part with with Wesley, you know, where he's like, there is a design hidden in the chaos, right? There's a design, there's something there. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. Then we get to this thing where we're, we're so focused on where do you belong? Do you belong with good? Do you belong with evil? And then we have Angel saying, it's not about good or evil. It's about who wields the most power. And once again, we come back to everything always being about power. It's about power with Buffy. You know, we see that over on the Buffy side. That becomes a huge theme in season seven. Um, And here we are once again, it's about power. Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I wasn't really sure where we came down on all of that, but I thought it was really great. No, I thought it was really great. And I saw Mm -hmm. kind of three big themes in this too, um, where I heard belonging, but I interpreted it through a different lens. So I love that. That there's so much, you know, to, yeah. to dig into in this episode. But the theme of choice, mm-hmm. which for me is what Angel's really all about. You know, yeah. we start with Lindsay telling Holland, I've made some bad choices. And he mm-hmm. doesn't mean that in the moral space. He means right. that in the, hey, I sent an assassin after a rogue slayer and it didn't work out so well. Right. Like, <laughs> I've made some bad career moves, man. Right. Um, and I like that. I liked how that uh-huh. played out. And, you know, Lindsay tells Angel, I don't have a choice. And Angel says, Mm -hmm. you always have a choice, you know, and you have to make the decision to change. That's something you do by yourself. And then when they're planning the heist, you know, Lindsay says, oh, damn it, the threshold, you know, Mm -hmm. because Lindsay is literally at a crossroads there standing with one foot on either side. And I think he's hoping that Angel will push him over that line one way or the other. Uh-huh. Because he still doesn't want to fully make that choice by himself. Sure. You know, um, and we saw Vanessa, who had chosen to blind herself to reach, you know, evil assassin enlightenment. But once uh-huh. that choice was made, she fully embraced it. Yeah. You know, the same mm-hmm. with Lila. Lila is right. not conflicted like Lindsay is. No. Right. You mm-hmm. know, um, and then we have holland leaving that job choice to Lindsay. if you want it it's yours if you don't walk out the door right now and Lindsay gets Mm -hmm. up and goes to the door but then he closes it inward and stays inside Um, yeah and he's made his choice for that moment but i still think he's in a gray space i don't think he has found that clarity yet 
He's always going to be at conflict. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's making the wrong choice because he's always going to be in conflict with that choice. Right. There's always going to be part of him that that is not evil. Yes, I think you know? so, too. And, uh, and that's like Lila is a great foil for him because yes. she has no con. She has no inner conflict at all. Yeah. She is not ever worrying about that. No, you know? I love that. And, uh, and so it's, it's really, it's interesting because... Lindsay is never going to be at peace entirely with what he does mm-hmm. and the choices that he's made. They're always going to be in conflict with who he is. Which is a really you know? interesting comparison to Angel. Yeah. So, yeah, I just yeah. love that. Um, but the thing that got me the most in this, you know, we've had religious references and religious symbolism, but we mm-hmm. knock it hard. Like we we hit the point home in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. so Cordelia is talking about, you know, Angel breaking into Wolfram and Hart. And she's like, why are you going in at all? I thought born again boy was going to do it. You know, so yeah. we have this mm-hmm. idea of like, because Lindsay's trying to do one good thing that now he's suddenly born again. And like, that mm-hmm. was very specific. Um, yeah. And then Lindsay has this quote when he says, the righteous shall walk a thorny path. Which I had to go do some serious research on because basically uh-huh. that's the opposite of what the Bible says. Oh. So mm-hmm. in Proverbs 22, 5, it says thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Uh-huh. So it's not the righteous walking a thorny path. It's the righteous staying the hell off the thorny path. Right. But the way mm-hmm. Lindsay said it, it sounded like a direct quote. Um, mm-hmm. So I went and did some digging to see if I could find that quote anywhere. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And I found it from Apostle Orson Whitney, who was quoting Joseph Mm -hmm. Smith, and he was speaking to Mormon parents whose children have lost their faith. And he says, they will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins. They may tread a thorny path, but if it leads them at last, like the penitent prodigal, to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experience will not have been in vain. So we have this religious callback to the prodigal episode and the idea Mm -hmm. of atonement and losing your way and fathers and redemption. Mm -hmm. And I found that fascinating. But seriously, was Lindsay quoting the great big wicked book of unholy evil? Because this is why we need to cite our sources, (laughs) right? Because curious minds want to know where the words come from. So TV shows should end with credits and a damn mm-hmm. list of scrolling citations in APA format. And if you need help with that, <laughs> see me after class. But <laughs> then, you know, Holland tells Lindsay that he's in a crisis of faith. He mm-hmm. tells him, I'm offering you a new job with a thundering raise and ungodly mm-hmm. benefits. So you have like this right. direct temptation from Wolfram and Hart again. Um, mm-hmm. So like the religious connotation of all this was was so direct. Mm-hmm. And, and I just find that fascinating. But I think the research question that stumped me the most Mm -hmm. was the idea of whose soul is worth trying to save and why. Right. Because Mm -hmm. in the last episode, Angel fought like hell for faith. And it could be argued that she's done worse than what we've seen Lindsay do so far. But Lindsay Mm -hmm. comes to Angel asking for help, asking for a way out. And Angel agrees Mm -hmm. to help save those children. But he shows no concern for Lindsay. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Lindsay's death is an acceptable risk. And when Lindsay comes back to the office with blood splattered all over his collar, mm-hmm. no one shows any concern at all. Right. Mm-hmm. He jokes about hoping no one was worried. And Cordy says, we just assumed you were dead. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and Lindsay says to Angel, so I get myself killed. That'll convince you I've changed. Mm-hmm. And Angel says, it's a start. Yeah. But Angel knows that Lindsay is really and truly afraid. And so I'm not overlooking his evil deeds, but why does redemption seem to be possible for some people and not for others? That is a really interesting question because everything, everything you've got here is right. And I think that, I think that with Faith, he sees that she has made a lot of her choices because of damage and because Mm -hmm. of things that have happened to her. And he sees Lindsay as doing it for money, you know, which Mm. is like, like you will put people like, like faith hurts people because she's been hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. Lindsay hurts people because they pay him. Right. And I think that that is the thing. Like you're willing to trade money for what you put people through. You know, and the damage that you do, like he just has no respect for that. But I mean, you're right when it comes right down to it. If Lindsay says, you know, I want to do better, you know, but it's it's not even really that he says that he doesn't come in and say, I've realized that I'm a terrible person. I realize that I've done terrible things. I want to do good. It's not that he wants to do good. It's that he he has a line and it's kids. Like he wants to stop this one thing from happening and he has to sacrifice, uh, but all the other evil he's still good with, you know, like all the other evil he's got no problem with, you know, and he just beat Angel and Angel was incredibly frustrated about, you know, Vanessa Brewer getting off. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is it is an interesting question, though. Well, and Lindsay knows that Angel and company hate him, right? right? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even talk about trying to change with right. them. Mm-hmm. But he really is risking his life to save right. those kids. And it's not about what and you a- say, it's what you do. That's the action he's taking. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think that you have to have this confession of, I want to be a better person, when you're literally putting your life on the line to, to save protect innocent people. kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angel has no faith in Lindsay, but Holland has full faith in him. Yeah. Angel doesn't want Lindsay on his side, but Holland does. Yeah. You know, and Holland spares Lindsay and encourages mm-hmm. him, even after Lindsay portrays the firm. You know, he even congratulates him. He's like, you just walked in here and called me by my first name. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so he's he's building him up, mm-hmm. you know, and Angel is tearing him down. And yeah. I think Lindsay doesn't fully know himself yet. Like, yeah. He tells both Angel and Holland that they don't know him as well as they think he, they do. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because he wants to be known and he wants someone to want to know him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not evil enough to be like Holland and he's not good enough to be like Angel. Right. But he sort of gives them both a choice in a way to show him a path. And Angel rejects him and Holland embraces him. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, like, is Lindsay making the choice to accept Holland's offer based on his real evil nature, which is possible. Mm-hmm. Or because he thinks there's no chance of being good anyway, so he might as well make the best of it and take the deal with the devil because it comes with a great view. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it, there's some pragmatism going on there. Yeah. Um, and I'm not defending Lindsay. I mean, he's a grown-ass man. He knows right from wrong. But I do think our choices are often guided by love 
by those we love and who love us, by the presence or lack of love in our lives. And Lindsay, wayward and winsome, as wicked as he is, is alone in the world. Yeah. And so it just made me really curious about Angel's reason for not wanting to save Lindsay's soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that is really interesting because he was making the argument, you know, to save. And what did he say? Did he say that to Wesley? Whose soul is worth saving? Right. right. Didn't he make that exact argument? And yet with... With Lindsay, you know, it's personal. Like Angel Mm -hmm. feels, I think, I think with Faith, it's personal too. I think he feels personally responsible for Faith. I think that, um, that he feels uh, personally offended by Lindsay, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think that all of that stuff is, is definitely really personal, but it's, it's, those are really interesting questions. And yeah. I don't know where to land on them, but I can't give you one to brood on. Okay. <laughs> Blind Date is a fantastic episode. It's at this point that we see Angel as a show becoming what it will be. It's a thoughtful show with a strong philosophical perspective. It's hitting on deeper themes than anyone has a right to expect from a show like this. And when we say Angel is worth watching, it is this stuff that we're talking about. Like when it's good, it is amazing so yes. kelly go ahead and tell me what's your favorite part angels five and uh, a high story yes <laughs> so Lindsay and gun and i wish so badly mm-hmm. that Lindsay had become a double agent yeah for the powers of good but that with the deep questions and the power of choice and the gray space of right and wrong like the whole episode was pretty much my favorite part yeah the whole episode is so incredibly good um i gotta say for me it's the heist i think the heist is so fantastic i loved watching that um get pulled off i love that we did this whole thing perfectly and at the last moment angel reaches out for that scroll without really knowing why Mm -hmm. And just and blows it all up. You know, it is it was so wonderful and beautifully done and reminded me so much of the really great episodes of Leverage, um, you know, especially because Christian Kane, of course, was part of the heist story. Uh, It was really great. I had such a good time watching these episodes and I'm so excited to be seeing the really, really good stuff coming to Angel. Oh, absolutely. And there is so much more great stuff to come. So to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. For more in-depth discussion, visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can support Chipperish Media to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons who might want to prostitute themselves to David Nabbitt. You know, it's a choice every woman has to make for herself. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Dead by going to Apple Podcast and giving us a review. That's one of the most effective ways to show support for your favorite shows. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. We will be back next time with Tishanshu in LA, episode 22 of season one, which is definitely a watcher. This is the season one finale of Angel, and we will be celebrating with a special guest, Joshua Unruh of Pulp Diction Productions. Until then, I nod it off. Did we get to the part where you're evil? (laughs) 